When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have our fourth edition of the deciding point of the week. Of course, it's our breakdown of everything happening in the Division I men's and women's college tennis world. Now, I am sure some of you fans are asking yourself, why four editions of the deciding point this week? I'll tell you why. It's because this weekend we have the ceremonial symbolic start to every college tennis season. The ITA kickoff weekend has approached. We've got 30 regions across the Division I men's and women's college tennis world, 60 of the best men's and women's teams in action, all competing for the final 15 spots at the men's and women's national indoor championships. Of course, our Crack Rackets team is so pleased to announce we will be providing coverage for 21 of those 30 regions spread out across both our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well as ESPN+. Plus, things kick off Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. They'll start at 1 p.m. Eastern Time over on ESPN+. Plus. After that, we got a lot of matches and a lot of hours spread out throughout the day. We're starting in the morning on both Cracked Rackets YouTube channel and ESPN+. Plus. Saturday, Sunday as well. The final match, the Georgia Men's Regional, Monday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN+. Plus. Why do I remind all of you college tennis fans of that fact here to start today's show. It's because we are so thrilled to be able to provide this sort of spotlight, to be able to put college tennis on this sort of platform to allow it to shine to fans across the globe. And thus, we do ask here at the start of this show, please do tune in. Feel free to turn me on mute, but let's prove to the powers that be that college tennis is a marketable sport, a sport that they can grow a real audience with and then thus continue to provide larger and larger platforms for the sport to shine on. Again, 21 of the 30 men's and women's regions spread out across our Cracked Rackets broadcast Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday on both our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel and ESPN+. Plus. If you are looking for a preview of the 15 Division I women's regions, all you got to do is scroll down on your Great Shot podcast feed. You can hear myself, John Parsons, take you through all of the action we anticipate throughout the course of the weekend on today's show we break down the men's side of things and again 15 fascinating regions I've broken them down into categories of course we're going to stick with the same theme we've got the I'll pay for the camera regions the hosts with questions to answer the matches worth watching and then of course the teams we know we will be seeing at the final site in New York joining me to help break down all 15 regions as well as unveil our first 
Cracked Rackets Top 10 Men's Rankings of the 2024 season. By the way, those rankings coming after a busy week in the men's college tennis world, which we recapped on Wednesday. Joining me to help break it all down and the man is the man who has to suffer monologue after monologue to start these shows as, again, it's year six. He has joined me on this podcast. He's a man you all know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks Formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames who used to root for the Liberty Flames. But now he's a lean, mean Michigan Wolverine. The week ahead, a week behind, is up on his website. Thus, we granted him the privilege of our Saturday coverage on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We are thrilled to have him back. It's the professor, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. I should say the privilege belongs to college tennis fans because they get to listen to you steer the ship. You excited for all the action ahead this weekend, my friend? Oh, I, you know, it's like uh, getting called up to the majors. I couldn't do <laughs> I was so excited when I got that call from uh from from you and CEO Dalton Thieneman to provide some Saturday coverage on the on our YouTube channel. So yeah, that's gonna be great. Uh yeah, I, I'm 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 so excited for the weekend. And uh, you know, we were hoping we'd be live this week. I think we'll start next week, but I got three things to start off with for all the fans. We're gonna try to be brief tonight, but I still have to start off with three things. One, <laughs> for all you folks that are avid listeners, you'll know. This has to be the last night because we go live after this. But indeed, we did have two take Gruskin tonight. (laughs) That's really funny. Sorry. Numbers two and three. I'm a firm (laughs) believer in visualization. So, you know, if you can picture it, you can do it. So I want all the listeners, close your eyes right now for me and visualize these two things. Number one. Gruskin's zipper is way too low on the chest. <laughs> and number two, how do you know you're not live? Uh, He's not wearing Cracked Rackets gear. He's wearing, I will not name the school, but actual <laughs> school gear tonight on the video that only I could see. But those are your visuals for the episode as we head into tonight. It's really good. I didn't know that was coming. Uh, yeah, we're not on YouTube. Obviously, 21 of 30 regions is the most we've ever had heading into a kickoff weekend. And so West Off's a little bit busy. We will be back on YouTube to recap all of the kickoff weekend action next Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time. So do appreciate you providing that plug. I want you to know that when I was waiting for you on the Zoom and I could see the video of myself, the zipper was even lower. And I was like, you know what? That's probably too much for Chris because all of a sudden it's 50 degrees in Indy today, and so it's just a little warm in the house. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go a little low with the zipper. I was like, maybe that's too low even for Chris. Um, yeah, look, Never too low for me. I got this skinny neck. I got to show it off to you. Someone needs to see Chris Hallior. So I guess just tonight it's you. But yes, starting next Glad week. Glad I can we'll provide that visual for that's everyone. That's good. That's, <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, you ratted me out the way we ratted. Well, I'm just going to say it because you won't care. We ratted you out last night with your NC State at number three, Michigas. And we'll get into all things rankings again at the end. I'll let Chris defend himself in that number three spot as well as break down what our top 10 men's side of things look like. And by the way, offer our thoughts on the new coaches top 25 poll as well. But let's get into it. We have 15 regions of stellar men's action coming up. 
Saturday, Sunday, Monday, spread out across the college tennis world. Again, we're going to have coverage of a bunch of them to help all of you listeners sort through all of the action. We're going to preview all 15 regions. And look, are we going to break down the lineups, the rosters, the key matchups for every match? We will not, because if we do that, we're still going to be potting by the time tomorrow's broadcast begins. But hopefully after this, you will have a gist for what regions you need to, at the very least, always be monitoring scoreboards from and certainly what action you should tune into throughout the course of the weekend. Chris, let's start with the moneymakers, the regions I call the I'll pay for the cameras. I don't care where they are, what the circumstances. These are the matches that you just have to keep an eye on, if not a loose screen with one of the camera feeds on one half of your screen. Certainly the scoreboard's got to be up. And... I just think there's no doubt about it. There are a lot of good regions spread out throughout the country this year. The best region we have in the country is in Chapel Hill, and it's UNC as the host. UNC men hosting Wake Forest, Florida, and Illinois. You look at the rankings right now, UNC currently sitting at 16. You've got uh Wake Forest, Florida, and uh, Wake Forest, excuse me, at 17. Florida and Illinois outside of the top 25 right now, but have certainly been floating around that part of the conversation uh, for us here this season. It's a fascinating region for so many different reasons. And just to give you all some headlines, obviously, it's the. Florida's actually 20th. Oh, they're 20th at that. Good. It's, I'll learn how to read eventually. Again, we'll worry about that throughout the course of the weekend. Good catch by you there. 20th, Illinois drops out after a heartbreaking 4-3 loss at home against Kentucky last weekend. But again, Kentucky right now ranked 10th in the ITA rankings. There is no shame in that loss. That's a strong level for the Illini to begin. Anyways, plenty of storylines to get into beyond just three top 25 teams. You've got a UNC team that's replacing their top two. From last season, no more Brian Cernock walking through that door. The connective thread to the 2021 National Indoor Champions, now gone. No Ryan Segerman walking through that door. He's too busy with Patrick Trahak winning week after week in uh, doubles titles and ITF circuit matches, challenger matches, you know, all the different things. He is now gone at Indian Wells this week. It's a lot of new faces in new places. And look, some of them are familiar. Will Jansen was at three last year. He's up to one. His fellow lefty, Carl Poling, the transfer from Princeton, he was at four last year. Both guys extraordinarily successful at that position, but they're up to the one and two spot. And again, it's new pieces filling in elsewhere uh, or in new places. Benjamin Kate, the sophomore, he's going to be asked to step up uh, in this lineup. He was playing top three against Columbia last week. Uh, I believe he was submitted at that number three spot as well. Freshman Patrick Shun at four. Guys like Jordan Peters working their way in. A lot of questions about the host. Tar Heels, and thus they aren't prohibitive favorites, not when the other teams coming in have the totality of talent that they do. Wake Forest, yeah, who knows who fits where, but Maroney, Thompson, Tachi, they're all back. Coons is a transfer who was playing number one at a non-Power 5 school with tons of experience. Suresh, the freshman, had about as good of a fall as any freshman we saw in the country. It's a really talented team. Yeah, Florida, new head coach Adam Steinberg. He got busy bringing in talent right away. Aiden Kim, Jeremy Jin, obviously the transfer Jan Magnus Johnson sticking with his commitment. He comes to Florida. You had that with Benetto, Narundorn, and others. A lot to work with for the Gators. And then maybe even most interesting of the group is the Illini. Yes, they lost 4-3 to Kentucky at home, but 
we know these pieces. We know the level Carlos Ozalens is capable of playing. And indoors, he might be the best player in this region. Hunter Heck at two, primetime performer. Kenta Miyoshi, one of the breakout players we had of the fall. Top 50 guy right now. He's playing three singles for this group. Petrov's at four. He played one for them last year. Okonkwo, Mraz, Horve. They got options. Bottom of their lineup, not even including freshman Jeremy Zhang. It's a fascinating region, Chris. I think the team that comes out of this region 2-0, and you're feeling great about your top 16 chances come the NCAA tournament. Dare I say again, you have to, uh, for all of these teams, by the way, if you want to keep top eight window still alive, it's a winner go home weekend for all four of these teams. All due respect to conference play. If you're not at the national indoors, top eight window closes on each of these teams. It's a fascinating weekend, Chris. Which of these teams interests you most and why? That's a great question because I, I was actually thinking if you wanted to put a, whether you wanted to put them in order or a percentage on each of which, who, you know, who's most likely or rank them in order. This is a complete freaking toss up to me. Absolutely. I, I think though that for me, I'm going to say that the, the two least, the two least interesting and not because I, I don't think they're good teams, but the two least interesting for me more because I think we've seen a fair number of the guys play are Illinois and North Carolina. No, I haven't seen Shun, <laughs> right? But I've seen all the guys for the most part on Illinois play. And I think, I honestly think that Illinois at Florida might be the two best. If I were to rank them, they might be the two best teams. And I'm not going to be surprised if that's the two teams that we, we sort of see in the, in the final, uh, but it could go any way. But I, I've seen, you know, most of the North Carolina guys minus Shun, uh, you know, Philip Jordan, we've seen it, South Carolina, then UCSB, now back now to North Carolina. We've seen Jansen in polling. We, uh, we saw Kate last year. Uh, we've seen none of Aiden Kim, if you didn't watch the fall. We've seen none of Jeremy Jin. We've seen none of Gannison. Uh, and so the top three guys, it's all new. I think that has to make them the most intriguing uh, team right there is is a team that's got three brand new guys to to college tennis in the top three spots and then and then wake just you know you got Suresh playing in there and then the whole like I know I I've loved Maroney ever since we saw him as a freshman we've never seen Tachi really play Tachi's in there now and then now they're expecting contributions from Coons and Capaldo as transfers they are interesting. So I think that Wake Florida match just that's the most intriguing to me because of all of those factors, new guys, lots of transfers, all new team for the most part uh, for Wake. Uh, and then, you know, and then Florida with all the new guys, that's super intriguing. You are spot on. And you listed out that uh, that argument very beautifully, if I might add. I'm going to change the topic here. Who is it most important for? I'm going to go the exact opposite route because of everything you said, and that's why I think it's the natural segue. This Florida team is so new, and to some extent, so is this UNC team. All due respect to a Jordan who's an older piece, a Carl Poling who's an older piece, this will not be the best version of this UNC core, in my opinion, during their time. We'll call it a two, even over the next two to three years. I think they're going to be better moving forward than they are this season. 
Florida, same deal. First year together. They are the most intriguing because there's a lot of talent, and I want to see what it looks like. We saw them have a successful weekend last weekend, albeit I'm, I'm blanking on who they played, but still a good win. I think it was FIU, which was just interesting to see what the lineup looked like. But there is urgency for this Wake Forest group and the and this Illinois group. And given Wake Forest has pieces like Suresh and others, I'm going to give Illinois the top spot in my who is this most important for, Chris. I just think this core is the last year with Heck. It's the last year with Petrov. It's just like, again... Yeah, Ozalans, Miyoshi, they've Jeremy Zhang, like they've got a little bit of a window, but you feel like it's just been, you know, again, yeah, it, it, 2021, that Illini team was a top 16 group. If they don't play Florida first round of the NC uh round of 16, excuse me, they would have won a couple of matches in Orlando. It's been since then since they've had a group like that. And if you want to sniff that sort of realm, this Illini group, as the veteran groups, got to come in and come get a couple of wins in Chapel Hill. Why are you afraid of a North Carolina team that just lost 6-1 to Columbia? Why are you afraid of a Tony Bresky squad with a lot of faces, but all new places? Why are you afraid of a Florida squad that is all freshmen and they haven't been playing indoors? Like, I just think this is a weekend where if Illinois is going to make a push this year, this is the weekend where it's got to start. And that sounds obvious. It's kickoff weekend. But there's urgency, Chris. I just think the Illini, like of these four teams, they're the one who have the most urgency to win right now. Oh, so, you know, first of all, we all know I hate to agree with you, but <laughs> there are three teams that this is the most important that that are most important in in the rankings here. Only one of which is in this actual region. Those three teams are Illinois. Michigan and Michigan State. Okay. There is zero question that this is the most, that Illinois is the, you know, this is most important for Illinois in this region because look, North Carolina is going and Wake Forest are both going to play an ACC schedule. They're going to have lots of opportunity. And if they're, you know, if they're going to state their case, they're going to have other opportunities to do so. Florida, likewise, plays in the SEC. They are going to have plenty of opportunities, even if they went 0-2 here, to come back and beat a South Carolina or a Tennessee or a Mississippi State or a Kentucky and put themselves right back in, you know, in the top 16 spot. If Illinois doesn't do it, they're looking at Ohio State, who in all likelihood, I mean, it's going to be hard for anybody in the Big Ten to beat Ohio State. Let's we'll start there. So and then and then we've got Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State. They need they need these two big wins of whoever, obviously one of them is North Carolina, and then whoever the other team is, they need those wins. And who else needs those wins? Well, Michigan and Michigan State in the Big Ten, if they think of those top four that they are going to gather some points in the Big Ten schedule, they want Illinois to get all the points they can this weekend. Well said. Worth noting, Michigan State competing out in Pepperdine this weekend. A couple of fun dual matches out there. Uh, unfortunately, they just weren't ranked high enough to be a part of the kickoff weekend draft, which is, of course, how all these teams determine what region they are heading to. You bring up the Wolverines. We're going to go there next in a moment. And I promise we're not spending 10 minutes on every region. It's just, again, this one has, and I'm going to include the Illini, even though they're not there in the rankings, four top 25 teams right now. Chris, I can't offer predictions because we got a lot of broadcasts ahead. You shouldn't offer predictions because you also have broadcasts ahead. So for the regions you're broadcasting, I'm going to make sure you don't. But UNC is not one of those. You aren't burdened with that issue here. So 
Give me a regional final and who advances. I agree, by the way. Huge for the Big Ten. You got to get two schools to the indoors. You just have to if you want to look at top 16. Although Michigan does have a really good, as does Illinois, non-conference schedule. But you just got to get two schools to the indoors. Are they going to do it? Who are you taking? Regional final champion. Yeah, this one's such a toss-up. I'm going to go way out on a limb with what I think are probably the upset picks, both in the first round. I'm going to say Illinois knocks off North Carolina. I'm going to say Florida takes down Wake Forest, and we end up with an Illinois-Florida final. And you know what? All the new faces for Florida, as much talent as they have, it's always tough to play the new guys. I'm going to say Illinois comes out. All right. Chris Haliora starts our preview show off spicy. Wouldn't have it any other way. And by the way, it's early enough in the season that this is when you can afford to be most wrong and don't have to apologize because we've only seen these teams play like two matches tops. Obviously, big weekend for all of us college tennis fans to learn more, get more data points from these squads. Speaking of which, let's stick in the Big Ten after your Illinois-themed pick. Let's head over to Michigan next. And my next, I'll pay for the cameras, regions, and... God, someone's got to pay for upgrading the Michigan cameras. But that's a discussion for a different time. Instead, let's talk about the region itself. Two questions as it centers on this one, Chris, before I'm going to get your prediction. Let's start with question one. Does Stanford have to be worried in their opening match? They take on a Memphis squad. We saw just beat Harvard at home. A Memphis squad with a lot of experience. Again, Alemany, Gannon, all these guys who have been around the block. Memphis, a perennial top 35 school. Look, on paper, obviously, Stanford's got all the blue chips, not just Bosferetti, Banerjee back, but Kang, Godzik, Rivera, all prepared to begin their Stanford campaigns. Basing's in the lineup. Now, will we see the junior actually healthy? That's a different question. We know when we do, he can play top 20 tennis in the country There's just a lot still to learn about this Stanford team. Chris Halliors, who for now, certainly without Arthur Ferry, is there any trouble, any upset alert? That's really what I'm leaning on in round one. From the outside looking in, I don't think that there's probably a lot of worry for the upset alert. If I'm Stanford asking that question, I am 100% legitimately worried. Look, Memphis played a hell of a match against Harvard. And, you know, Connor Gannon beating Von der Schulenberg never saw it. You know, Alemany hanging right in there uh, as well with, with Cooper Williams. It's, I, yeah, didn't see it. I don't, we don't really know how healthy, yes, Basing played in a, in their opening match. But, you know, for everything I heard really is, you know, the longer it goes, the tougher it gets on him. He's not really probably necessarily ready for a two-hour grind, probably isn't going to want to play that kind of match. Stan, you, then, then you consider the, the, the somewhat intangible Stanford's the team flying halfway, two-thirds of the way across the country. Stanford's the team playing indoors when they play only outdoors. Memphis plays a lot of indoors. All of the little factors kind of go the way of Memphis. But to your point, the talent's all on Stanford's side. I mean, the raw talent is there. But would you would I would I be worried that Memphis could jump up and bite me? Absolutely. I don't think it happens, but if I'm Stanford, I am absolutely worried about it. Yeah, again, Godzik, Kang, 
Rivera, they haven't been playing a lot of indoor tennis. You don't do that on Stanford's campus. You're going to be doing that this weekend in Ann Arbor. Look, I'm not worried about Bosferetti or Banerjee. They grew up playing indoors. They'll be plenty comfortable making that transition back inside. But not only are you a freshman playing indoors in a, or in conditions you're maybe less comfortable with, you're a freshman playing on the road against a veteran team that is not going to be uncomfortable in this situation. And again, we just saw them beat Harvard. And... They did so by beating them at five and six, where there's some uncertainty for the Crimson. Five and six are the spots where you just don't know yet. Godzik, Rajesh, Rivera, regardless of who it is for the Cardinal, want to see how they look. Like, I want to see them earn that victory before we get there. The thing is, though, and let's assume Stanford does get through, Chris, Michigan's obviously on upset alert. This is the one everyone has circled. I mean, again, top to bottom, this Stanford team, blue chip-wise— Junior pedigree, pro result-wise, about as much as anyone in the country, and that's even without Arthur Ferry. And obviously for Michigan, that's not the case. Yeah, Gavin Young's looked the part of a number one, and he was four all in the third on the road with Johannes Monday in Knoxville last Thursday. He's going to be just fine at that top spot, even if it's a Bosferetti in Alemany. Regardless of who it is, he's going to be competitive. Bickersteth, massive win over Lalami to kick things off for him at two. Obviously, last weekend, they got wins from Patorn, Steiglener, lower down the lineup. The question is, will they have Nino Ehrenschneider back this weekend? How healthy will he be? If so, certainly he'll play in the top three. It pushes everyone down a spot. The other question is, who do you play at six? Do you go Cooksey? Do you go Steiglener, who's been a little bit better, or certainly was better in Knoxville? Um I mean, the Wolverines have as many questions about their lineup as Stanford does heading into the match, and there are more returning pieces for the Wolverines than on the other side. Obviously, Michigan's been really good at home over the past half decade, almost decade. They always were under Coach Steinberg. New head coach in Sean Mamie, new assistant in Trevor Fauché. I don't know if you've met him, Chris. Really nice kid. Um, look, again, in Ann Arbor, which way you lean in? Give me your pick and why. Who gets out of this region? I thought I wasn't allowed to pick the ones I'm broadcasting. Oh, you're broadcasting this one. Let me add, then let's flip it this way. <laughs> I think everyone knows the case for Stanford. What's the case for Michigan? Uh, yeah, I was, I was ready to go another way. So, uh, Oh, okay. The, the case for Michigan, well, where, where I was going to go is I think, you know, if – if we get the final we think we're going to get, which is going to be a Michigan-Stanford final, I think the guy that the, that everybody should be watching that's going to be a, you know, the probably the biggest factor in my mind as to whether Stanford, you know, they probably have to be the favorite coming in here and and whether they, you know, they can win without somebody winning. But but the guy that's going to be the, I think, the biggest swing that almost guarantees it goes their way if, if he does, if he plays well. And that's Nico Godzik because, A, look, the kid can play dubs. And Michigan hasn't shown yet that they that they lost the doubles point in both to DePaul and to Tennessee. Your Godzik can play some doubles. If he shines well in doubles and, as you mentioned, you know, it's the 5-6 spot – that's where the questions come for Stanford. Well, you know what you're getting in Boston already, Banerjee. Yeah, basing a little banged up. Tang, highly, highly tied freshman. But it's really the Godsick, you know, Rajesh or Rivera or whoever. But if Godsick's playing down low in singles, plays well, plays well in doubles and helps them take that point, they're, you know, they're looking really good. I, I think that's that's the case for them for sure, is if he plays well, you know, you, you know they're well up top. Uh, but I'm going to say the same thing about, 
uh, about Michigan. I think for Michigan to win one of those top two, uh, being, you know, young or big, right. They, they managed to, to split those two in Tennessee. They're both going to be competitive against Basa Veretti Banerjee, but, but somebody has got to pull a win off. They can't go empty handed there. Um, I honestly think even though they played a really tight match without Aaron Schneider, I think the biggest thing for Michigan this weekend is, is Aaron Schneider ready to go and can he play? I just don't see them being able to upset Stanford without Nino in the lineup in singles. So that's going to be the swing to me is if Aaron, if Nino's in there and he's healthy and able to play, but look, if we get that and we get that match at three, we could see an Aaron Schneider basing, and I'm not convinced of the health of either one of those guys. <laughs> so it could be the, hey, somebody put a set on the board quick, please, and that might be it. Uh, or Sean and Paul look at each other and say, what if neither of us plays that guy? And we just we both can... agree. We both pull. Fair? Fair? Okay, let's do that. Um, yeah, yeah it no, could happen. it's a good point by you. I also would say this. They had him in doubles last weekend. Michigan was bad in doubles against Tennessee. That doubles point was never competitive. The pieces alone that Stanford brings back, they should be good at doubles. And again, we got to see it first. But even if it's not them, if it's Memphis, Michigan has to be better in doubles. Again, Chris Helios on the call for that one Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So no prediction out of you. All right. We're going to be more efficient, folks, because we're on a bold pace. Chris Hallioris wouldn't have it any other way. Um, Georgia, the next region, the final region of my three in the I'll pay for the cameras region. Here's why. You got questions about every school in this region, maybe less so Louisiana if you're not a nerd like Chris and I are. But certainly for Georgia, what the hell is this team going to look like? I think we are all fascinated to know, given the fact Mickelson is busy in the top 100. Quinn, busy at the challenger level. Boosie, busy grinding out at the pro level now as well. That expected top three, none of them are in Athens. Thus, here's the three I see listed. Paulcell, Colby, Perez-Pena. After that, again, Rachu, Majub, and Blades. It's a lot of unknowns, Chris. Five new single starters was always going to probably be the case. But again, Kobe was playing in the bottom half of USC's lineup. And he had a really good fall, but now he's playing two. Again, just what does Georgia look like? We're all fascinated to know. Certainly by experience, A&M's got the most years in their lineup. Perot. Will we actually see J.C. Ronick? That's the question, but we'll see if this is the year where it all seems to click. Guys like Perego, Casper, Tokots, like they all have years under their belt. You know, Auburn as well. Stice I think is there's back. More, yeah, there's more years, I think, actually on the Auburn side. Sure, Stice, Dubai, Moreno, a sophomore, Blades, Mergit, obviously, Nolan. You're right. Like, again, what's clear is, is that Georgia is not the most experienced group. It's that it's their ACC foes, A&M, Auburn. This is just a fascinating weekend for ACC pecking order. Chris Halioris, tell me the team of those three that intrigues you most this weekend and why. Who's it most significant for? Oh, I mean, it has to be most significant for Georgia. I mean, it's all, all you know, a bunch of new faces for them. You know, Paulson's not a new face, hasn't played a lot. Colby is new to them. MPP, okay. really probably the guy with the most lineup experience for Georgia on the team and then four, five, six, all new guys. So it's, that's the, that's the most important, intriguing aspect of it. But I honestly have to say whoever comes out of the, and they should win, right? They should beat Louisiana regardless. Whoever wins that A&M Auburn match 
should actually be the favorite going into that final. And that's going to be, you know, that'll be great because it's a, the Monday final and nothing else will be going on. We'll all get to tune into that one. Uh, but yet most intriguing for sure to see the new guys at four, five, six for Georgia, because they're going to need them to step up if they're going to be at the, re, at, you know, at the, re, the remotest sense of the word competitive in the SEC this year. Yeah, it's a massive, massive. So most intriguing is Georgia, I agree. Most significant is unequivocally both A&M and Auburn, equally significant. Because A&M hasn't been at the National Indoors since we called it together, Chris, I believe, in 2020. And, you know, this Auburn group, they've been knocking on the door. They've had a, a cute win here, a solid victory there. But they haven't done it at a kickoff weekend. They haven't done it to make a round of 16, make a final site, get their chance, three shots at the best of the best. And again, that 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 counts for both A&M and Auburn. The difference for A&M is their team came back together and made a really nice run at the 2021 NCAAs to the quarters. Obviously, the National Indoors that year, only eight teams. So things were a little bit different. Um, I mean, again, I think the urgency... <sighs> I'm going to go Auburn because you've convinced me that they are slightly older than this A&M squad. And look, Moreno was a really highly touted recruit. Blades did really well in the bottom of their lineup last year. Give me your prediction as you're not on the call for this one. Who gets out of the Georgia region? Yeah, that's the intriguing part to me. Moreno was playing two last year for them. All kinds of upside but Dubai's got massive weapons. Like that and, doesn't and, shock me that he's risen. And the Blades race. can hit the snot out of the ball. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then there's, there's all, just merge it. He's like, ah, I'm just chilling at three. I don't know. There's all kinds of all kinds of uh, talent and experience on that side. But you know what? I'm gonna say Auburn. To me, they got these are a bunch of guys that you know they're not all about the fall. They are about the team. But they got off to a little bit of a slow start last year and never gotten the groove. I think they're actually going to have to prove it to me this year that they can get going. I'm going to stick with the A&M guys. I think A&M, the only new face there, be it Tiago, the rest of the guys, even though Tokach comes over from Florida, but we've seen all the rest of them. Uh, I I think A&M comes out. It's a fascinating region, as Chris alluded to right away. You could make a case for Georgia, A&M, Auburn, all being the favorites, and likely, again, the winner of that A&M-Auburn match, barring it being a four-hour, 4-3, everyone's cramping as they leave the courts. Barn burner, the winner of that's probably the favorite in the regional final, just by experience, continuity alone, but... Again, the best part about that regional final, Chris, we're going to have it alone Monday, 2.30 p.m. Yeah. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. You you know what? Well, no, you got to be in the office, so you won't be on the call for that one on Monday. I won't be able to have you call in. So I, I, I will sort of in the office. Uh, that's my home day, so I'll be. I'll definitely be tuned in. Uh, okay. I may jump in. <laughs> no, I, th- you're jumping in. If you're tuned in, you're jumping in. So, folks, no prediction from Chris. No, uh, you already gave a prediction, ain't it? So maybe I have to ban you from the broadcast. We'll see. Yeah, what but we maybe they'll do. be out, and it won't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, yeah, that AM Auburn match, honestly, it's going to be just that's. I'm really looking forward to that first round match. I have always it's said, I know match. it's not Louisiana Lafayette, but never count out the Raging Cajuns. I don't think it's Louisiana Lafayette. I think it's just straight it Louisiana. Oh, is it Lafayette? I think they're Lafayette. Chris, I think. never count out the Raging Cajuns. So <laughs> yeah. there's, there's the hot take for you all. All right, let's move to our next category, our second category here. But I've got six squads in this one. It's hosts with questions to answer, whether it be a strong opponent in their particular region 
or whether it be just, again, new pieces, new faces, new places. We got questions. We want to see how this top teams perform. Team number one, do I think Kentucky is going to advance to the national indoors? Of course I do. I watched Kentucky just go to Champaign and beat the Illini 4-3 in one of the most hostile environments and most enjoyable energetic environments we have in all of college tennis. A team does that this early. You have our attention. But I want to see what they do with that attention, Chris. They've got Alabama, Nebraska, Notre Dame. No cakewalks within the region. Kentucky's the favorite. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. But again, you could argue Dominco of Notre Dame's the best player in the region. I also like the top two of Planasek, Aguiard of Bama. Why couldn't they go up in a weird 2-0 scenario on Kentucky? And then, you know, again, you're relying on the freshmen, Laudit, Stevenson, etc. Maybe the sophomores, Whedon, Kosne to pull through. I just want to see Kentucky be dominant so that I know, oh, okay, this is the tier that they sit on. These guys just went to Champaign and won. I was right with my initial inclination. Fair to put them in this category and not to see you in New York? Yeah, well, I, I think I think we we do see them in New York, but I do think we also have some questions to answer. And as you said, they could get pushed. I don't think Notre Dame beyond one is going to do a whole lot of pushing. But, you know, we, we watched Alabama, you know, play a really good match with Florida State. They, you know, on a good day for Alabama, they might be able to make some of the freshmen answer some questions. And that's what we want to see, just like they have, did against Illinois. We want to see what they're doing down the stretch in a 4-3 or even a 5-2 that's kind of in doubt for a little while match and not a 6-1-7-0 runaway. Yeah, I I think you're right. We absolutely see them in New York. But do we get to learn a little more about the freshmen? I hope so. And do we get to even see if Weeks is ready to go? I hope so. I also want to see Lop it out against Domenico, match number one. Like Josh Lop it out, who lost to Ozalans. Obviously, he is extraordinary. But he's playing number one now. That's a different burden on any player to bear. I'm excited to see him get tested right out the gates. And then again, whether it's Alabama, Nebraska, that's a fun two-match weekend for Lapidad. Chris taking the Wildcats to advance. Let's move on to the next team we've got questions about. I have the USC Trojans in this category. Now again, Destanich is back. Peter Mock is back. Ludwig Westrate is back. Outside of that, it's going to be new faces in the singles lineup. Oscar Waitman, Vladimir Ikubenko, the two freshmen who are going to be asked. I think Ikubenko's the freshman, not a transfer. Chris, yep. can, yes, okay. Shout out to my brain. Still works uh, to contribute right away, whether it's Lee, whether it's Rubel, who's even at that sixth spot. What does the doubles lineup look like? Again, it's just new faces for this USC Trojan squad. I think they're going to advance. But again, you've got a San Diego squad with a top two of Tarvit, Vasa, who were really good in the fall. Texas Tech, Ali Wallen's back and Collier's back. That group just knows how to hang. And then maybe most interesting is who USC's first match is going to be against. And look, right now, Trevor Svide is still alive in the Indian Wells Challenger. We're all keeping an eye on it. Uh, Did he lose or did Zach lose? No, Zach won. Trevor lost today. That's what it was. So I apologize. So Trevor's back. So he'll be eligible. Pretty short drive from Indian Wells to Los Angeles. He'll be there. He's at one. Neff's at two. Pieces like Crawl, Salagi, Hadigian in the bottom of their lineup. Even Cloud. Like, I've just seen them play more college matches than I have the USC bottom three. Even if, again, UTR-wise, World Tennis number-wise, whatever, all things might look even 
It's a real test for the Trojans, and if they get through comfortably, I'm going to come on next Wednesday's podcast and apologize to USC Nation because I'm not going to lie. I think I'm inclined to believe this team is more top 16 than top 8 category this year, but if they come out and get a couple of 4-1 wins, Chris, then again, I think it's time to re-examine and say, oh, no, 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 this is still a top 8 squad, and Dostanich is back. Yeah, look, we're going to see them in New York. They're not losing three. Okay, but there are some questions answered. Hey, we got to watch Steph play. But but really, it, for USC, it is it's the four, five, six. Like, let's see these guys play. We know what we get out of Steph, Mock, Wistrate. It's the new guys in 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 Waitman, in in Yakabanko, and then you know, is it Rebel who has been there but has never really played singles, or is it Carl Lee coming over uh, from UCLA? We got to see who's playing. I don't know that they really get pushed that hard, but I hope somebody does. You know, SMU, if with Cross, Lagi, Hadesian, Hadesian was, I think he's the guy that got 0 and 0 against Nirendorn uh, <laughs> by, of Florida. So that, that one worries me a little. Or, or the, I worry that he doesn't even play. It's hard to get, you know, if you go lose 0 and 0, you tank something there and you may not be playing the next match. But someone's got to push them. I hope they find somebody in this region. My fear is I just don't think there's anybody that low. You mentioned San Diego, good team. The talent's up top. It's not as strong as, as low as it is up top. We could see some great matches like Tarvit, Dostanich, if that match happens, love that. But, you know, am I super excited about the the five, six matchups? They're not, not really so, but I I want to see what the USC guys bring, but I don't think they have any problem getting through here. And you're probably going to have to come back on and go, yeah, 6-1, whatever it was they won. Sorry, guys. Well, if it's decisive, that's what I want to see because then heading into New York, you think, hmm, might this USC team do some damage? I'm higher on SMU than you are coming into this year. Again, it's a lot of pieces there, but Svita Neff is a real top two to push Dostanich and Mock with. And again, like Kroll, yeah. Salagi, Hadigian, they just have more matches under their belt uh, than their USC counterparts. So Chris is on the call for this one. I'm not going to ask him for a formal prediction, but that's a region to keep an eye on, and you can watch it Saturday, Sunday, on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. On ESPN Plus, Saturday, Sunday, will be the Duke Blue Devils, who had to survive a couple of 4-3 victories, VCU, Princeton. Now, they were up, obviously, at the clinch more than 4-3 when they did clinch against Princeton, but still, we saw Pedro Rodinas go 0-2. He lost one dual match last season. Sophomore now two, three set losses. But again, this is a Duke squad that is no longer underrated, is no longer going to surprise an opponent. No, we know these pieces. They're all back from last season. Johns, who was unbelievable in his pro summer and fall. Andrew Zhang, really good start to his weekend, uh, his college season, couple of straight set wins for the fifth year. Obviously, if the Dean returns to school, we know what Pedro Rodinas can do. The Krugs and Heller and all Dale and like, we know Duke. We know them. It's all the same pieces. What's their ceiling? We didn't really get to see them tested against the best last year. We saw them play Virginia and that was really it. And you look this kickoff weekend do they play the best of the best? They do not. Do they play a bunch of good schools? Absolutely. 
Middle Tennessee lost some pieces, but I watched them play Oklahoma State last weekend. That is a gritty squad. They take on a Cal team, obviously, that suffered a shocking loss to Santa Clara last weekend and will be looking to bounce back. But, you know, outside of that, obviously, you've got uh, the fourth team within this region as well. And, you know, again, I'm not going to sleep on NC State, are you? With all the experience the Wolfpack bring back this season from, you know, Catry all the way up at the top spot, all the way to, you know, people like Staheli and Schick and Wyand. And just, again, these two teams know each other so well. They're ACC foes. They played a bunch of times over the past few years. And these are two cores that have also played against one another a bunch of times. We're going to see the Duke ceiling this weekend. Like, this is a match. If they're a top 10 team like the rankings say right now, they should get through this region. If they don't, maybe we start to reexamine what that ceiling is moving forward, Chris. This is a fascinating region. Who intrigues you most and why? Yeah, it is. I think Duke doesn't really intrigue me because, as you said, we saw all these guys play last year. I think we know what we're getting. The only question is, look, I and you talk about the ceiling the ceiling at one, two, and three is pretty dang high, right? Those guys can hold a team up. The question is, what do they get out of four, five, and six? You know, if we get the we get a good version of the Krugs and a good version of Dale, it the ceiling can can be high, but we don't have that yet. Like I mean, you know, not, the Krugs have lose all three of those guys have losing records on the year. So, so we definitely don't, you know, I'm not super high on the bottom of that lineup. Uh, I think the most intriguing, and, and again, the guys for NC State, seen every one of them play over the last couple of years. Katri, Von Sambique, Salvestri. I am a little intrigued to see if Salvestri, he hasn't played a match yet. I, so does he play this weekend? I, you know, I don't know. But Lucas DeHaley, Braden Schick, Joe Wayne, we've seen them all. The most intriguing is, you know, the the rebuilding of a lineup by Jimmy B at Middle Tennessee. And as you mentioned, they, you know, they had a win and then they had that 4-2 loss to Oklahoma State, but they battled and they looked good. And it's a to me, that's a typical Jimmy B team. And they are fighters. He's got a bunch of good recruits that he's brought in to replace the guys that he lost. They are by far to me the most intriguing team in this in this region because it's a lot of new faces, a lot of guys we haven't seen a lot of. And, you know, they're they're ripe to come in and pull an upset here. Last year, 5-2 Duke beat NC State in Durham. NC State taking the doubles point. You had three three-set matches. Duke actually swept them all on their way to that 5-2 victory. But, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating matchup, certainly there. And then, again... That's probably the premier matchup, the winner of that NC State-Duke match, going to be the favorite given Cal's recent loss, given, again, all the new faces at Middle Tennessee. But it's a, a high level of play across the board. Urgency for NC State. If they want to be a top 16 team, they got to almost get the— Oh, I guess there's enough there in the ACC. But certainly, again, for Duke, you want to be a top 8 team, you got to be at the national indoors. Chris Hallioris, you are not on the prediction for uh, on the call for this one, so give me a prediction. I don't—I I really want— to pick the sexy upset in middle Tennessee. And I think it's a very real possibility, but look, if Duke wants to be the team that we all think they can be, they have to win this and they have to win at home. I've got, I'm still going to stick with Duke. John's 
Zhang, all the seniors, they came back for this weekend. I agree. It's maybe the most important to the host school of any host school across the country. I mean, excluding the ones who we'll see you in New York. But like for any team on maybe even a bit of the bubble, they're the one who need this. Like this is the one. They all came back for this. And so the draw is there. It's a tough conference photo start. There are going to be nerves across the board. I'm fascinated by that matchup. We'll have it Saturday, Sunday on ESPN+. Plus. Next up... Harvard, I think, has to be in this category, certainly following their loss to Memphis last week. And what I like most about the Harvard region, I got no idea what's going to happen at five or six in any of these matches. Certainly, you look yeah. for Harvard. I know Williams. I know Von der Schulenberg. I know Malovsky. I know Jachuk. Morali, Deloy, they did not have the best weekends in Memphis. Ole Miss, I know Slavic. I know Lithin. I know Stromberg. I know Engelhardt. I don't know. Their options at five or six as well. Northwestern's got a million new pieces, but certainly five and six, they're more new than anywhere. Blecker, Thieneman, Nordby, we'd at least seen more frequently over the past couple of years. And then, again, UCLA might have the most fascinating lineup of them all, Chris. Govinanda, part of one of my favorite teams, 2019 UCLA squad, which was the most match calculus-oriented team I have ever seen. It was, okay, Smith and Cressy, who ultimately won the NCAA doubles title, they're going to win at one doubles. Cressy's going to win at one singles. Keegan Smith's going to win at two. Govin's going to win at three. We have to find half a point more. Half a point more. And it took them, yeah, and it took <laughs> them all the way to the round of 16. Um, anyways, Nanda's back, and he's playing the number one spot. Ravelli, Hoog Martins as a 2-3. You have my attention, but 4-5-6. I mean, I got to see Spencer Johnson play when he was a junior. Uh, at the junior level, I didn't get to see him play in college yet. Gonzalez, Belota, again, it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating region, Chris Halliors. Your, again, we're sticking with the two-question theme. Who's most intriguing in this region to you? Most intriguing, honestly, to me is UCLA. Has and, to be. I, and I'll, I'll say this as well. I think this year more than any other, we usually get maybe one one four matchup on day one that's that's good that we that we're, that we're looking forward to you know who knows if the, and at, in the end if it's going to be a good match or not but we look at it and go wow that could be a good match i've we've already been through like three or four of them where the one four match is more intriguing than the two three match in the same region and this is another one i mean nanda ravelli hoog martins at one two three and then look gonzalo's coming over from clemson playing up at the top of that lineup there's a lot of potential talent if these guys are playing well on that UCLA team that's really going to push Harvard. And and you mentioned it. I don't – Gonzalez is the only guy on any of any of these four teams at five and six that I've ever seen play. So I don't know – I don't know what we're going to see at five, six anywhere. And to say that five, six aren't going to matter, no, of course they're going to matter. So it's very, very hard to call – it's going to be the unknown that's going to end up, you know, who who does have the depth at 5-6. And I'll say that if if UCLA or Harvard, who one of those two schools, we saw what happened in Northwestern. They lost to Memphis. They lost to Louisville. They're not coming out of this region. Old Miss, yeah, we know kind of the top four guys. I It's going to be tough for them to make it out either. UCLA, Harvard, if whoever can step up and play good 5-6, that might be the team to watch. Fascinating 1-4 matchups. UNC-Illinois, Kentucky-Notre Dame is interesting, not fascinating. Should have excluded that. USC-SMU, Duke-NC State, Harvard-UCLA, Mississippi State-VCU has to qualify for that category. 
And honestly, this one's a little bit of a stretch, but not really. I want to see Ohio State versus Vanderbilt. I want to see what a first iteration of a Scott Brown-led team looks like. Again, it's in Columbus. The Buckeyes have lost twice there in my college tennis following lifetime. But it's just intriguing enough. I think it's more intriguing than the Oregon-Boise State matchup, which is the 2-3 there. So a lot of really good 1-4s. Again, those are going to be our focus, our premier matches on our broadcast. So I agree with you there. Chris, you don't have to call the Harvard section. I do, so no predictions from me again. Who you got coming out of this? I want to say it's whoever wins the Harvard-UCLA match. And again, Man, I want to go with that sort of sexy upset pick of UCLA. I don't know if I can if I can really get myself to do it, especially cross-country, outdoor team. I don't think I can do it. I'm going to stick with Harvard, but, man, UCLA could surprise some people. All right. Keep an eye on the Harvard region, folks. Has Chris Halioris questioning his decisions? Let's go next to Arizona. Obviously, people, the headline would be Arizona versus Baylor as a regional final. But look, Tulane brings back a bunch of starters from last season. And USF is always a frisky, excuse me, Miami is always a frisky team. And so I'm not writing them off right away either in round number one. Now, again, where do we see Gustav Strom? A big lineup question for Arizona. He was below Lagayev, below, I believe, Hoyer all to start. Question is, will he remain there moving forward? I think he was listed at three in the lineups I saw submitted. Obviously, Baylor, the freshman, Devin Badenhorst. We both hear the same good things about him. And you add, again, the weapons he possesses to the depth they have. Veltz, Paralek, Polson. Maybe this is the year it all clicks for Miladinovich, who certainly played some solid tennis at times, but it's been a little streaky so a lot of talent and a lot of experience spread out across this region. And again, I just want to know what Miami looks like, but that's maybe a discussion, a different tier of conversation. Certainly, again, if they want to be an NCAA tournament team, they got to be competitive this weekend. That Tulane match, a must win maybe for Tulane to wrap up their NCAA campaigns or get it started as well, not wrap up, excuse me. It's a fascinating region, Chris. Who intrigues you the most and why? Yeah, look, we we know all we know except for six. We know all the Arizona guys. Like we know what what they're going to bring. I don't. I mean, Miami's got too many new faces to to really put up too much uh, of a challenge uh, there. The I mean, it's the Tulane Baylor match is going to be the big one to me. I'm actually I'm actually most intrigued to just sort of see what that Baylor lineup looks like is you know they bring pole they bring polson over from middle tennessee this year great doubles player should really do some things for them uh in the doubles lineup i i think and then you know look we haven't seen brasock wasn't eligible last year miladinovich just you know flat out looked terrible most of the time that he played you bring in badenhorst who's highly touted we all were super high on zombor velch um you know I'm 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 really interested to see, to see what lineup they play and and how all of the guys look. They've got a lot of new pieces. I think the upside is there there for that team. And I really want to see just because I want to see some good tests. I would like to see Arizona Baylor have to battle it out in the final. But I am not sleeping on Tulane. Great fall from Vanchilla. You know, Kunkler playing a little further down than he did last year. Dalba's solid. 
you know, Suarez is going to be, that's going to be a great match even, uh, you know, probably at one between he and Paralek. That's not going to be a cakewalk for Baylor. I do expect him to get through, but that's not going to be an easy match. And and I think I'm though still most intrigued by Baylor. All right. Well, no prediction can come from that region because, again, it's been added to the Chris Hallioris package of coverage on Saturday on our 3 p.m. Saturday. I'll have that one. It's going to be a lot of good tennis across the board. Again, certainly we are looking forward to it. So happy to have that region added to our coverage moving forward. Last but not least in this category, Chris, a team you're pretty familiar with. It's your old friends at Mississippi State, our final host with questions to answer. They're either the most underrated team we have in college tennis or a team that is like the first team out of that top eight, top 12 conversation that we seem to so frequently be having. And they seem to be so frequently left out of, I think we're going to get a test to see how good is this Mississippi State squad. They got four real teams in their region. Top 25 team in Florida State, a VCU team that just pushed Duke to 4-3 and has realist, uh, serious talent across the board. And then maybe, again, the biggest wild card of the group, Arizona State, who certainly is watching that Indian Wells challenger very, very closely right now as their freshmen still competing as we approach Friday. Um, obviously, him, Murphy, Cassone in the top two spots, that's real to deal with. And the top two's everywhere. Yovanovich, Melsovich, Kornat, Chauvink, Peroy, Cassone, Artnock, or Bohr, however you want to call them now, the freshmen, and then Bobakan Bondez. Chris, that's good. I'll take all of those top twos at the top two of my lineup and feel fine throwing them out there against anyone who intrigues you most and why. I mean, look, I know the Mississippi State uh, lineup. I've seen, uh, you know, the the top pieces for VCU. I've seen all of Florida State. I'm most intrigued, I think, by Arizona State because, look, I'm – you bring a guy like Bor Artnack in uh, who's going to be playing two for them. And the guy, though, that I think is the wild card here uh, is is Max McKinnon, who's going to be in the three spot for uh, for Arizona State. And I'm guilty myself every time I watch these guys, whether it's in, in the team or whether I watch them go out and play, you know, say uh, challengers. You know, McKinnon did it again this week. I sort of write McKinnon off. And then McKinnon makes a run through and beats a guy like Keegan Smith out at Indian Wells. If you're beating a guy like Keegan Smith and you're playing three, you are not an easy pushover for anybody. This guy's got, I mean, and, and look, with a lineup of Cassone and Artnack at 1-2, Arizona State is going to be favored in the 1-2 spots in most of their matches sure you're going oh murphy staff when we get into pack 12 yeah that's a tough match it's a but but you're not going nope murphy can't win no he's he's at worst a toss-up in any match and in 90 percent of them he's going to be favored if arizona state can figure anything out in doubles and look they are not good in doubles yet but if they can get anything figured out in doubles and you go we're favored at one two if we can find a way to win a doubles point, holy cow, they're going to be hard to beat. I don't care how weak you are from there down. Anybody can step up and have a good day. They are by far the most intriguing. And you get guys like Koshis who came in, actually pulled us decent last year, has been awful this year. Awful. But that, you know, he's got the talent. He could change it. Jacob Bullard, you know, came over from 
Texas. Vergara coming over from Miami, never really got a chance to play. I know they're high on him there, and they think that he can play well for them. So they uh, that's interesting because they signed last year Gannat, uh, the Israeli friend who's who may he may struggle to crack the lineup, and he was somebody that they were looking to count highly on last year. So there's if if you're talking about oh maybe he doesn't even play, it is a very talented lineup. This is a wide, wide open region. Uh, anybody could win any match. And look, please, folks, do not sleep on VCU. We saw what they did almost with Duke. Uh, and I know the Mississippi State guys are not looking at them like, yep, let's go ahead and just get the win and figure out who we're playing Sunday. No, they know they could get a real match here. You're playing a guy like Sam Afalov, you know, at the bottom of the lineup there coming over from Bama, who a guy they know well, a super talented player. It's a it's a wide open region. I would love to see just the rematch. I said it last week that that six one win Mississippi State put on Florida State was you know you hear it all the time and it's cliche, but that was the closest six one I've ever. Seen. Those matches were all close. I'm no in no way shape or form going. Oh, if that's the final, yeah, they already beat them six one a week ago. They're gonna walk. No, it could completely flip around and go the other way this week. But man, Arizona State still by far the most intriguing team as long as I'll say that as long as Bohr loses tomorrow at Indian Wells and manages to catch a flight and get there. If you pull him out of the Arizona State lineup and everybody has to slide up, it just gets too tough for them. They need him in there. Again, on the right day, Max McKinnon could beat anyone. On the wrong day, he will lose to anyone. Who you who you picking? You got the Bulldogs. There's certainly some urgency for this group to start the year. They want to get yeah. that, that bite at the apple at the indoors. Yeah, you and you almost think, oh, they're kind of. I mean, they're only number twelve. Maybe they're flying a little under the radar. But no, I still think internally the pressure has to be on. They know they're the favorite. They're at home. They just beat Florida State. They have to win this region, and they will win this region. All right, there's your prediction, and that's the end of Category 2, hosts with questions to answer. Last but not least, our final two categories here, a match worth watching and see you in New York. Let's start with the matches worth watching. Again, these are very regional final-centric. Let's start with Tennessee. I mean, we saw just last year when Oklahoma pushed them to the brink how hard those Sooners can compete. And the only difference for Oklahoma, they swapped out Sifos Monsi for freshman Colo Monsi, his younger brother. And again, Mark Mandelik's back for this group as well. So, like Martinez is back. Schlageter is back. Nathan Hahn is like All the guys are back for this group as we head into 2024, Chris. I know we saw Tennessee really strong weekend as they knocked out Michigan and Wake Forest at home. They looked very strong in doing so in a couple of different places. Monday, Mitsui, obviously the freshman. Pajunka as well, which we talked about on Wednesday's show. Upset alert here. You think Tennessee gets through? I think Tennessee gets through. But, man, you look at that Oklahoma lineup, and you have to be thinking we see a Tennessee-Oklahoma final, right? Like, wow. Manglick, you see Manglick down low. I swear – Last year or the year before, we were seeing Manlick at one to yeah. start, right? That's uh, crazy. With Mason Byler and and whatever they had. Uh, I mean, yeah, to see that him down. And then guys that potentially out of the lineup in like Nathan Hahn and Baptiste Anselmo, the Georgia transfer, who have all had D1 
decent falls and and schedules leading up to this. Every one of those guys has a great record. You know, they all have, you know, winning records, if not tremendous records. You know, Han, six and two, and some of six and three. They they can play about anybody. So absolutely they will they can challenge. I don't think Tennessee, you know, loses at home, but could they get themselves into a four-two, four-three type dog fight, depending on the guys that, you know, maybe don't step up? Absolutely. But I think in the end, you know, Monday, Mitsui, Pajanka, and their doubles just gonna be too much to overcome but they could certainly see themselves in a really close match. That's going to be a fun regional final one we'll have on our ESPN Plus coverage. Texas, next up on my list. Do I think Oklahoma State's going to beat them? No. It's a lot of veterans across the board between these two teams. And again, here's the thing. Texas has something to prove coming off of their home loss to Virginia to start their year. Why is this a match worth watching? It's not because I think Oklahoma State's going to win. It's because I do want to see if Texas comes out with a little extra edge this weekend. No disrespect to Utah, who's the technical two-seed in the region, but lost so many different starters from last year's squad. Chris, do you think Texas struggles at all, or do you think they, they cruise through? Uh, I, I know I don't think they struggle, but I don't think you can count on that prior to the final match. So the interesting thing, the most interesting thing to me is going to see, is going to be to see who do they roll out at six. We sticking with Jonah. We roll in Cleve in there. You know, where's the confidence level in of Bruce Burke in whoever's playing six? I but no, I don't think that Oklahoma State's really going to cause them too much too much grief. They're just better at every position. Could any one of the Oklahoma State guys upset somebody? Could Tyler upset? Elliot, sure he could, but can three or four of them do it? No. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Again, also, do they play with the doubles lineup after they drop that point to UVA? Or again, it's match one. Do you stick it out? See how these teams gel. All things worth noting. As again, the Longhorns host Utah, Oklahoma State, and UTSA. South Carolina, the last host school on in this category. And obviously, they're coming off of the massive four-three win over UVA. They didn't have Connor Thompson, James Story, their senior veterans in that match either. If they get them back this weekend, obviously, you expect to see them in New York. But hey. Louisville, LSU, Clemson, all fun teams in the region, Chris. I want to see South Carolina mostly to see how they respond with maybe a little bit more of a target on their back uh, and more expectations for themselves following that Virginia win. They're also still very young, and these are new pieces. We're all still trying to learn more about thoughts on South Carolina. Do they drop more than two and a half points across their two matches this weekend? 100%. Ooh. I, I'm re, you know, this is the one I've said this in our, you know, off air and in our private chats. This is the one that nobody is going to expect because they just saw South Carolina down two guys go at to Virginia and win. Do I think they lose? No. Am I going to be shocked if I see, and I'm going to say that I, if it's going to happen, that it would have to be probably LSU. Would I be shocked? If I saw LSU all of a sudden in a barn burner and maybe even challenging to win a match against South Carolina, no, I'm not. Like people, people will be shocked to be like, "What? They just beat Virginia." But I have no idea if Connor Thompson's playing. I have no idea if James Story is playing. Those guys, we know, we know they both have some some injury issues. If they're not playing and they roll the same lineup out again, yes, they got the win at Virginia with that lineup. 
But that LSU team, I w- if you guys don't think LSU can do it, I want you to go look at that hidden duel they played at Miami where LSU took it to Texas. I mean, those guys put the numbers on Texas down there. And if they can do that, they can absolutely, you know, put some wins on the board. And I would be very, obviously, Coach Goffey is not, he knows that very well. He's not overlooking any of that. But but that's, it. it's definitely one to watch out for. Do I think South Carolina loses? No, I think they get through. But if they have no Thompson, they have no story. Or if they play them, but they're just, you know, 70% and one of them can't can't win. Could they get challenged? They absolutely could. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be a fascinating region to watch. Again, if nothing else, they just beat the two-time defending champs in Charlottesville. So had to be in that list. You got a prediction for me? Yeah, I mean, I, I think South Carolina comes through. All right, there it is. Well, then last but not least, let's get to the locks, the CU in New York. Again, Chris, you get to tell me one thing you want to see from these top seeds. UVA, who hosts Penn, FAU, Northern Arizona, no Rodesh. What do you want to see from the uh, the Cavs this weekend? I, What do I want to see? I want to see the Graziani brothers play each other in doubles. All right. I like, like that's – I, I don't I don't know what I want to see. Virginia's not losing. Like – they are the write-in of all write-ins this weekend with with Penn, FAU, and Northern Arizona. Uh, I, I just don't see that. I don't even see them. Even if they pull in Yaki with no road dash, they're going through. I, I don't know how they don't. Coach Bonfiglio put that on the bulletin board for to get the Quakers going uh, in both of your matches. All right, Ohio State in Columbus, Buckeyes hosting Oregon, Boise State, Vanderbilt. Massive NCAA implications for the Ducks for whatever the— Broncos, I think, for Boise State and the Commodores. But one thing you want to see from the Buckeyes this weekend or this region as well. Yeah, I well, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, based off who cares what they submitted, who gets pulled or, or whatever. Like, are we playing Alex Bernard indoors? Are we playing? Luch- I mean, if you're ever going to play Lichonic, this is the time you play Lichonic, right? In <laughs> Indoors. I mean, the guy's he's big. We know. We know we're going to end up seeing him in in doubles, but is he played in singles? Are we going to see Bryce Nakashima? Lots of questions. We know that if it in the ma- in the match that they you know if they know it's on the line, we're going to see Kingsley, we're going to see Belay, we're going to see Tracy, we're going to see Anthrop. After that, I don't know. They could play around a little. I'm interested to see who they play, but no, no problems. They get through. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Well, again, uh, Buckeyes hosting. I-, I am interested to see Orange Bowl champion Daniil, last name forgotten, the Panarin, freshman yeah. man. Yes, Panarin yep. compete uh, again across the board. And so, again, it's going to be a fun region to watch unfold. Last but not least, TCU Horn Frogs. Certainly, we're fascinating to see where everyone fits in the lineup. Jake Fernley, hopefully, making his 2024 debut this weekend as well. They host Tulsa, Princeton, Rice. This feels like a lock of lock as well, but never count out Coach Westbrook, Coach Molino, and the fighting Tulsa Hurricanes as well. Chris, your thoughts on where to, uh, on excuse me TCU's region? What you're looking for most? The closely. fighting Hurricanes, huh? I thought they were the Golden Hurricanes. Are they the Golden Hurricanes? It's one of the Hurricanes. Again, in my mind, they're fighting. Yeah, they're fighting. That's like my alma mater, the Fighting Engineers. Wow, what a terrible mascot. Um, but uh, no, yeah, look. The only thing I'm looking forward to seeing here is uh, for TCU really is assuming that they even 
play a full lineup. We have to assume that in whatever order they play the top five, that Jirasek is six. Now, do they need to play a full top five with Jirasek at six in this region? No. So whether they do or not, I don't know. But I'm in, but I'm hoping at least Jirasek's getting the action because he's going to be a big telltale sign for TCU this year. They are you know, they are six deep unless they want to count on on Chan at some point, but th- they really need Jirasek in there. So let's see what Jirasek's got because he's going to be the guy that's all important for them when we start talking about them playing the other top four or five teams. That's what I'm watching for. All right. Again, TCU, obviously the pick from Chris Hallioris and all these teams you'd expect to see in New York. That said, folks, that's all 15 regions coming up over the course of the next four days here as, again, Saturday, Sunday, Monday in particular, the men's action underway. We'll have coverage across both ESPN Plus and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Before, Chris, though, I let you go, before we get too amped up, or maybe, maybe dare I say, before we get our finals hour of, uh, hours of sleep, excuse me, before everything gets rocking and rolling, we've got a little unfinished business to attend to. Obviously, again, the season is underway. We've seen some results. Thus, we're ready to unveil our first edition of the regular season Crack Rackets Top 10 poll. Now, a reminder how this all works. What we do, six of us come together. We submit our votes to me secretively, myself included. I then post them on an Excel sheet. Chris Hellior is so beautifully organized for us. And Then again, we compile those six rankings. Now, moving forward, we've had a discussion. Are we going to throw out the highest and lowest for each team? If Chris can figure out a way to do that easily on Excel, then perhaps we shall. But it's always fun to do this exercise again. Forces you to, dare I say, think out how you see the college landscape at any given moment. And certainly it's always fun to have our poll as a data point to compare to the ITA coaches poll, which came out with their latest edition. The coaches poll following all the chaos is as follows. Up to the number one spot, number two, Ohio State. Up to number two, South Carolina, who knocked off, of course, number three, Virginia, now behind Virginia, number four, Texas, five, TCU, six, Tennessee, seven, USC, eight, Duke, not penalized for their tight matches, nine, Stanford, 10, Kentucky. Beyond that, for what it's worth, 11, Columbia, 12, Mississippi State, 13, Arizona, 14, Michigan, 15, Harvard, 16, UNC. Those would be your host schools right now if the NCAA tournament started next week. You know, Baylor's up to 24, Memphis to 22, Michigan State to 21. Those are the big names. That's the big movement. And I know all of you are wondering, how does that compare to our top 10? Well, folks, the Cracked Rackets top 10 entering ITA kickoff weekend is as followed. Chris Hallior's at number 10. We have USC. Number nine, Kentucky. Number eight, After their 6-1 win over UNC, we have Columbia, the Lions, into the top eight. Stanford, seven. Tennessee, six. TCU, five. Texas, four. UVA, three. South Carolina, two. And Ohio State, one. So again, our top six the same as the coaches poll. After that, it's really pick a name out of a hat at this point, given the sample size of matches we have. Chris, you fine with how everything's shaking out? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think in in general overall, yeah, I don't have any any issues with the with the top ten as they are. Yeah, again, there's a reason all the top fours look the same. Who should be number one right now is the most fascinating question because Virginia beat Texas, South Carolina beat Virginia, 
Ohio State beat like Youngstown State, but we know what that roster certainly is, and they're at least unblemished in a way others aren't. And it's still before kickoff weekend, and we know the Buckeyes, we're going to learn all about them come the month of February. So again, like, they've earned that benefit of the doubt, and the schedule, like, it's funny that this is the first time ever where it's like, oh man, Ty Tucker's scheduled kind of weak this year, and it's like, oh wait, it's weekend one. Never mind. They still have all their matches. You know, South Carolina's coming to town. Virginia coming to town. Like, the Buckeyes going to Buckeye. I just forgot that starts in February, not here right away first weekend in January. And so, like, you just can't penalize the Buckeyes for not playing that match yet since they're going to play those matches in space. Dare I said they made playing those matches a thing in college tennis. Again, yeah, like they didn't get tough. penalized. Yeah, they didn't get penalized. But I, I, the interesting thing with the with the top five that we knew would wind up as the top five. There's a clear separation after that. But but what you you kind of looked at it and figured, hey, Texas lost to UVA. UVA lost to South Carolina. Those teams, in all in all likelihood, have to get penalized for a loss, right? And then you have South Carolina with the huge win that's going to vault up. But how far? And then Ohio State and TCU, who didn't really play anybody, didn't lose, but didn't play anybody. So so how far up do you move South Carolina? How far down do you move Texas and, and Virginia for losing? And it was sort of it was wild that, you know, of the two teams that sort of didn't really play, if you will, in Ohio State and TCU, one of them ended up at the top of that group and one of them ended up at the bottom of that group and everybody else got shoved in the middle. Uh, but it's early, so I don't I don't have any qualms with it, right? You could have uh, you could have put those guys in any order. I take exception to anybody voting Virginia number one at this point, even though I threatened before the year started that regardless of what Virginia did, I was going to vote them number one all year. See, <laughs> I actually have, I don't know if yeah. I do. Like, what's a tougher win? Match number one at Texas or match number one at Virginia? Like, they're both really impressive win so if you want to keep UVA number one because they won one lost one like I have no problem with that I put South Carolina at one because they got that win over UVA who yes was without Inaki Montez but they were without Thompson and Story and it just makes me think like man what is this team's ceiling moving forward was were we underrating them having them what number six I think in our yeah, crack brackets preseason poll or five whatever they were like that is remarkable I was surprised when when we recorded Tuesday night and we signed off, I said, hey, the coaches have a bias and let's see if it plays out. And that coach's bias is always much more in favor of what have you really done? Not 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 who's on your roster on paper and what kind of UTRs do they have? The coaches are very much into what have you done for me lately? And I thought that that might be enough to put South Carolina one in the coaches poll. And I actually think that what kept that from happening is the fact that a Montez didn't play and B South Carolina didn't have their guys. If that was a full match, a Thompson and Thompson and story, South Carolina team and a Montez, you know, UVA team and they played Mont, you know, your best against our best and we beat you four three. I think South Carolina does go all the way to one. I think it was sort of those, and it wasn't really the regular teams that kind of put an asterisk on it for the coaches. Otherwise, I I was still slightly surprised to see them not number one in the coaches poll. Quick snapshot of my personal top 10. I had South Carolina one. Again, scale of the win given who they were missing. UVA two. They went to Texas and beat the Longhorns. That has to matter. Ohio State three. Texas four. 
I went Tennessee five because they beat Michigan and Wake Forest at home. Like that's better than what we've seen from TCU. And I think TCU is going to be better than them. But again, snapshot right now. Let's see the Horn Frogs this weekend before we make that assessment. Stanford at seven. Same thing. The talent's too high to drop them any further. Kentucky winning at Illinois brought them up to eight for me. Columbia beating UNC at home. I had them at nine. And then Mississippi State beating Florida State at home. I had that as worthy of the number 10 spot, given again, the quality of that victory. Do you want me to list off your top 10, Chris? Go for it. You had Ohio State 1, South Carolina 2, TCU 3, UVA 4, Texas 5, Stanford 6, Tennessee 7, USC 8, Arizona 9, Mississippi State 10. You had Columbia, Kentucky 11-12. I had USC, Arizona 11-12. So, like, we're pretty close there on the margin. Same 12 teams, slight different order. Yeah, in retrospect, I think, look, there's a – obviously the difference in – to some extent in yours and mine is – I did go a little more with the what have you done for me lately? And I penalized UVA and Texas for those losses. Do I think UVA? Oh, I, disagree. I think I went more what have you done for me lately. You went more snapshot of where I think it's going to end. I rewarded Kentucky, Columbia for their wins right well, now, Tennessee for their wins right now. Yeah, I was going to, but I did that up high with UVA, Texas, knocking them all the way to four or five. I had South Carolina at one. Yeah, exactly. But I don't, I don't think UVA, Texas end up there. The only one in retrospect that I think I – I don't even know where I'd put them that I would want to rethink a little because I do like the, hey, what did you do this weekend, is is Columbia. I'm not – I'm still – I got to see more from the Kentucky Fair. team before I put them up. But Columbia with that that win, I, I just – I had a problem going, do I – I don't want to knock USC yet. I don't want to knock Arizona. Mississippi State had a great win. I'm keeping them all above them. I feel bad with Columbia at 11 because I think they're a top 10 team. I just don't know who to knock out to put them there. So so that one I, I look at and go, man, I don't like them down there. I just don't know who I want to bump to get them in there. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was an interesting – it was very interesting to see uh, all the, the, the six different sets of rankings, if you will. Yeah, folks, again, it's only week number two. Just wait till we get further in the year when the data points make us even more confused. That's when the real fun begins. But that – is your look at our Cracked Rackets top 10 here heading into kickoff weekend. Again, we have Ohio State 1, South Carolina 2, UVA 3, Texas 4, TCU 5, Tennessee 6, Stanford 7, Columbia 8, Kentucky 9, and USC 10. That will do it for this edition of the show. Again, a four-deciding point week for all of you college tennis fans. If that doesn't symbolize that the ceremonial start to every college tennis season is upon us, I don't know what will. And reminder, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, ESPN Plus, Crack Rackets YouTube channel, your place to follow all of this action. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content, broadcast, podcast, or otherwise possible. Again, And your reminder, as Chris alluded to earlier in the show, we will be on YouTube starting next week, Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time to talk the D1 women's action. Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time to talk through all the D1 men's action. Chris Halioris, I know your website will be rocking and rolling throughout the course of the week as well. Any final things we should know about as we prepare for kickoff weekend? No, I'll be trying to keep scoreboard scores up to date for for the kickoff weekend. Uh, we should have, uh, by the time you folks all hear this, hopefully we've got previews uh, for all these kickoff weekends from our uh, Cracked Rackets and 
college tennis ranks contributor Archit Suresh for both the men's and women's regions on the site, in addition to all the information for who's playing who and what those projected lineups look like. So check that out on collegetennisranks.com. I love to hear it. Well, then, with all of that said, for my fantastic co-host, Chris Helioris, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. We hope all of you enjoy the 2024 ITA kickoff weekend. But for now, Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all starting 10 a.m. Eastern time on Friday. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.